Welcome to Energy Analyst Talk, a podcast from ESAI Energy. Welcome back to Energy Analyst Talk. With me today is ESAI Principal Andrew Reed. Andrew, we saw that refinery throughput fell nearly 8 million barrels per day last year, and still refineries ended up overproducing products and building inventories. So, between petroleum product demand, capacity rationalization, and investment, there are some big moving pieces here. There sure are, and they all really shape our thinking about what it's going to take for refinery utilization rates to return to normal levels. And of course, that means uh, refining margins more generally. But if our topic today is rationalization, where do things stand right now? So since the pandemic, 2.6 million barrels a day of crude distillation capacity has either shut down or is scheduled for closure. Uh, You you know, you have some other capacity under consideration, but uh, for reasons we'll touch upon now, uh, this really is not enough. There's still a long way to go. Well, let's just start with demand recovery. Sure. So if you look at the way things are taking shape now, then in 2023, petroleum product demand not only return to, but it will surpass 2019 levels. So that's a positive for crude demand. But uh, while that's going to lift throughput, we need to remember that some of that, what we call oil demand is NGLs like ethane and then biofuels that goes into the transport fuel pool. So not all of this demand will be for crude derived products. So that chips away at demand for crude oil. Uh, Nonetheless, global throughput in 2023 should be higher than in 2019. Uh, We we think by about 400,000 barrels a day, the the way things look right now. So if crude demand recovers and actually grows in 2023, that should lead to the recovery of refining margins. But how does the investment complicate the overall recovery? Uh, Exactly. And here's where it's really helpful to kind of partition the market. You've got your mature refining centers, which are largely OECD markets. Then you have expansionist refining markets, which are mostly in the east of Suez and non-OECD markets and first and foremost, China. That sounds like a good place to start. We can break things down into three points. First, you have your refinery integrated petrochemical production, and that's helping China produce more of the high value chemicals they need and making them less import reliant. So, for example, take China's parazylene production, which has been soaring lately, and that undermines the need for imports from places like Japan, Korea, and other East of Suez markets. Uh, so, that gets China to more self-sufficiency in in the chemicals side of things. But as a byproduct of that, uh, it also reinforces China's surplus of transport fuels. And that's because some of these big pet chem projects have a strong transport fuel component to them. Take Hangui Petrochem and Zhejiang Petrochem. Together, 800,000 barrels a day of distillation capacity, recent additions to the refining stable, but they produce as much transport fuels as they do petrochemical products. So this investment is a double blow to other Asian refiners because not only do these projects take away opportunities for them to supply petrochemical output to China, but it leads to China overproducing transport fuels and exporting them. And that brings us to the third point, which is, you know, one might wonder, well, with all this investment in China, should this lead to some rationalization of independent refiners? And that can be part of the solution. But 
at a high level, uh, you know, China has a history of encouraging independent refiners to modernize and adapt. There's some pretty big examples of that happening now. For example, in Shandong province, you have a group of nine independent refineries. Together, they have half a million barrels a day of distillation capacity, and they're consolidating and restructuring to remain viable going forward. So when it comes to refinery rationalization in the next year or two, China's not really going to be a big contributor. No matter how you look at it, this is a market that traditionally was an opportunity for Asian refineries, but is rapidly uh, developing into a real competitive threat. What about the other expansionist markets? Well, we just take the highlights. We can start with the two developments in the Middle East. In Kuwait and Saudi Arabia, you have two refineries, Al-Zur and Jazan, and together they have a million barrels a day of distillation capacity and they're going to start commercial operations later this year and that's not the full picture the national oil companies in this region have ambitions to invest in other large-scale projects in the middle east india and in other parts of asia not all their announced projects will happen but for uh refineries that are contemplating whether to whether today's bearish market for a better tomorrow the expansionist ambitions of the national oil companies really kind of put some storm clouds on the horizon for them. Well, it sounds like all of the action is to the east of the Suez. Just about. You just have one big refinery in Nigeria, the Dangote project. Uh, otherwise, the investment story really is east of Suez. It's interesting you bring up future expectations as an important influence on refinery rationalization. What other expectations are on your radar? Yeah, I think uh, the one that refineries are actively thinking about is demand. You know, we mentioned biofuels, but I still didn't even mention the electrification of vehicle fleets. Between those two things, you're really going to see a squeeze on conventional fuel use. And these things are advancing most rapidly in the OECD market. So this is, uh, I think, when we're talking about future expectations, another thing that OECD refiners are thinking about. Now you've introduced some peak demand issues. How does this shake out for rationalization? Well, in our analysis, we figure global utilization rates need to be at at least 80% for refining margins to recover. To get to that, we need to see 6 million barrels a day of capacity closed by the end of 2023. So, you know, we started with a figure of 2.6 million of confirmed shutdowns. So we're not even halfway there yet. So what should we be watching for and where? Well, uh, Let's start in Asia. Exporters of transport fuels and petrochemical products, they face intense competition. And that's not just going to be bad for an exporter like Korea. It's going to put more pressure on an importing market like Australia for their refineries to cut output and seed market share. Japan's refining sector will also be affected by these developments. But for that market, it's really falling domestic petroleum product demand that's going to lead to further rationalization. In Europe, you have some demand side development specific to that region, but uh, also the uh, Dangote refinery expansion will really roll back product export opportunities for them. So there will be more rationalization in that market. Last but least for OECD markets is the US and Canada. Now, they have a head start because you already have 900,000 barrels a day of confirmed shutdowns since the pandemic. And that's quite a bit compared to some of the other OECD markets. And they really won't need much more. In the, in the East Coast and California, you know, you have enough of uh, demand for conventional gasoline demand to support refiners in those markets. And then for the inland markets, you have discounted crude that kind of provides a crutch to them. So we should see some more rationalization in the Gulf Coast, but not nearly as much rationalization as we'd expect to see in Europe and Well, the market is more complicated than usual. 
Thanks, Andrew, for breaking this down for us. Thank you for joining us on Energy Analyst Talk, a podcast from ESAI Energy.